Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 33 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott here with you this week on Oilers Now, where guests receive gift certificates to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night in the town, every meal is an occasion at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Well, we've been trying to crack, track down Craig Morgan for a few days now because this arena situation down in the valley, the desert, Arizona, well, it's come up again. And... I just don't see a whole lot of resolutions around the corner to this, but what do I know? That's why we called the beat reporter. Craig Morgan covers the Arizona Coyotes has for a long time, not only for the NHL network, but for AZ Coyotes Insider, also a member of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. Craig, welcome to Oilers Now. How's it going today? Hanging in there, guys. How about you? Yeah, I, I can only imagine how busy it's been for you since about Thursday of last week. So let's uh, let's just state the field of play here, Craig, as you see it. So we know that the city of Glendale issued that statement saying they will not be renewing the year-to-year lease that had been the agreement for several seasons between them and the, the Coyotes. But it also looks like a pretty darn good time for them to be pressing their thumb on a situation because there's very few alternatives for the Coyotes so that's the way I see it that's what I've ascertained but the floor is yours Craig what is the field of play with this arena debacle yeah that's fair to say but there's so much context to this obviously this goes back at least to 2013 when the former ownership group Ice Arizona struck a last minute deal with Glendale on a long-term arena lease and then the uh, city broke that lease two years later you could argue it even goes back to 2009 when Jerry Moyes one of many former Coyotes owners tried to put the team into bankruptcy, and of course, the league eventually took control of the team. There's just been a lot of friction between the, these two sides almost since they got in bed with each other. Glendale spent a lot of money building this arena. Yeah, you could go all the way back to that decision in, you know, when it was opened in 2003 and say it was an unwise decision because hockey was never going to work on the west side. In fact, that's why... The original owner of the team here in Arizona, Richard Burke, decided to sell the team to Steve Ellman because he had done the math and said it was never going to work on the west side. Well, he's been right, and obviously there have been other factors. The Coyotes haven't had a lot of success that hasn't helped either, but it's just been a bad situation for a very long time. I don't know how to read this, to be honest. Some people think this is a negotiating point. Glendale insists it is not. And when you look at the, the, the bigger picture here, from Glendale's perspective, the Coyotes have made it very clear for a very long time that they wanted to leave Glendale. They, they wanted to get out of Gila River Arena. The league has been saying the same. 
Derek, Derek Bettman himself has said that the league uh, that has, has acknowledged that the team cannot survive in Glendale. So this has been coming for a very long time. So if you're sitting in Glendale's perspective, you think at some point you have to explore what life looks like with the Coyotes because they keep telling you they're leaving. And now news comes out that they're exploring the Stempy site. So they have to look at what comes beyond that. But then the other side of this, and I, I know I'm long-winded here, but I've been talking about this a lot. If the Coyotes do succeed in building that venue in Tempe, that creates yet another competitive venue for Gila River Arena. And quite frankly, it's in a better location. So Glendale knows that's not a good situation for them either. So maybe they're not bluffing. Maybe this is the end of the road for the Coyotes at Gila River Arena after this season. So this leads me to wonder two things. But first, uh, is... Is it a, an arena that struggles to draw for other events in addition to hockey? I was quite surprised to see that it is about thirteen or 14,000, at least from what we saw, average nights at those Coyotes games. But the way that the city issued that statement on Twitter, it seemed like they wanted to prioritize like concerts or festivals or whatever, you know, indoor markets or something that they believed may draw better or, or be more profitable for them. But how do other events do in Glendale? Is it just that much of a of a sort of dead zone, if you will, for entertainment out on the West End? Well, it makes sense that concerts would, would draw more people, right? They're, they're going to fill up because those are big-time acts and they're there once. And you bring people in from out of town, so they'll, they'll go to hotels that they have to dine out because they can't go back home and eat. So it stands to reason that they would spend more at those events. The question is whether there are that many events out there. They say, you know, we can book 20 events of that nature and make up the money that we get for the coyotes well i've got to tell you i did this story a few years ago i talked to promoters they don't feel like there are that many events out there for them to book so i don't know how they're going to fill those dates and and again i don't you know they also say that the uh the westgate owners are in lockstep on this i don't think that's true because i also did that story a few years ago there are a number of shopkeepers out there that are really worried about life white what might life look like without the Coyotes in Gila River Arena? So as we chat with Craig Morgan here out of Arizona following the Coyotes beat, we'll get to the possible alternatives in the short term, and there's there's some real interesting ones there. But I'd like to know, in your opinion, why has there not yet been ground broken on this site in Tempe? I mean, this isn't a new uh, lease agreement in Glendale. It's not a new idea that this isn't necessarily a draw like something more centralized to the rest of the metropolitan area could be, I suppose. So is it I guess it must be a money thing as to why there aren't already shovels in the ground and thinking that this is probably three years down the road from the time that they do break ground. Well, you, you got to look at a number of factors. Yeah, money. It's not easy getting an arena built anywhere, uh, certainly not in this current climate coming out of COVID. Alex Morello hasn't been the owner very long. So you've had a lot of turnover in ownership. Quite frankly, the previous ownership groups did not have the money to get an arena built. They tried to strike deals. If you remember... A, Several years ago, they, they thought they had a done deal with Arizona State University to build one on, on their Tempe campus, but that fell through for a couple of reasons. And, and then the next group just never really, under Andy Barraway, really never got anything serious going, although you know, I had heard that, that, that they were close on another deal before it fell through recently. So in terms of this current location, this is fairly new. I mean, they've been in discussions with Tempe and a number of other sites since Alex Morello came on board, but... They just haven't been around that long. Then you have COVID hit. There are a lot of factors impacting that. 
with this particular site, it's also going to take some development before you can even have the site ready for construction because it's their compost site. So you have to do a lot of remediation on the on the land before you can even prep it for construction. So yeah, it, it, it would be a few years if in fact it gets approved. Do you think that had Seattle not been adopted into the NHL over the last couple of years, and I wonder whether, you know, with, with that maybe being the most seamless option for moving the team out of Glendale, and I don't think that that's the route that any of these parties actually want to take, but I wonder whether the city of Glendale saw that that option was taken away from, you know, Arizona. And so relocation is, it's, you know, it, it's almost a bargaining tactic in that sense. I really think that they, they've kind of got the Coyotes boxed in here. So let's explore what the alternative options would be, knowing, of course, that the Kraken occupies Seattle now. I'm hearing a lot about the Veterans Memorial Coliseum. That sounds like an older building. Where is it? Is that the most viable option? I think so. I, I, there aren't many local options. You know, I, I explored this in a story on Sunday. There's always the option that they could go back to Glendale if they can negotiate a, a short-term deal, and I think Glendale would sort of have them over a barrel and they'd have to pay for it, but that might be one option. It would certainly be the easiest option because there are no adjustments to a new arena, and you, you don't have to do anything in the short term other than maybe some upgrades, which Glendale has already acknowledged that arena needs. But, yeah, if they're leaving Glendale, I – Honestly, I only see two options. One of them is crazy, playing where the Diamondbacks play at Chase Field. Of course, we've seen that with the, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning did that a long time ago at Thunderdome. So that's one option. They've always had a terrific relationship with the Diamondbacks. But that really hasn't even been explored yet. They'd have to look at all those possibilities. I do think Arizona Veterans Memorial Coliseum would be the most likely choice if they went to a different venue. It is an old building. It is just north of downtown. It's actually very centrally located, so it would be a terrific location. But, again, it's an older arena. It doesn't have luxury suites. Its capacity is just over 13000 which probably wouldn't be a problem for the Coyotes during a rebuild. But they'd have to put a lot of money into it, including an ice plant, because it doesn't have that sort of infrastructure anymore. So... We'll see where that goes. They will explore it, I think, if, you know, if they believe that this Glendale thing is falling through. And, look, if they're going to do it, I think they could do it the same way that the Islanders did with sort of that retro vibe at Nassau Coliseum for a while. The buildings are similar in age. The building has a lot of history. It's where the Suns played initially. It's hosted a lot of events. So they could probably market it if it came to that. What has the reaction to all this been like in the marketplace specifically? I mean, in the hockey world, obviously, this is big news, but how loudly is this resonating actually in the desert specifically? Oh, it's definitely resonating. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's some shock from, from people. I mean, I, I, I sort of expected this to come in some form or another at some point soon. I didn't know how it was going to materialize, but I mean, it's been such a bad relationship for so long that I was wondering when the other shoe would drop, but in terms of the fan base, yeah, they're upset because there have been a lot of other things going on with the team. They're, they're clearly tearing down the roster, and fans are having to prepare for yet another rebuild. And now this, they're going to be homeless in a year, or at least that's how it appears. So there, there's, some, there's not a lot of good optics around the franchise right now, I'll say that. And they had built some in the offseason with some of the things that Bill Armstrong was able to do with acquiring assets. And, and now some of that's gone, at least in the short term. Um, on the flip side... <laughs> To be honest, it feels like a typical Coyotes offseason. There's always some drama here in the summer. It feels like I never have an offseason when I'm covering this team. So 
in some senses, it, it's just par for the course. Well, we appreciate you lending us a little bit of time, Craig, as we uh, connect with Craig Morgan here, uh, correspondent for the NHL Network, uh, Coyotes Insider as well. I was quite surprised to see Chase Field on the list because, to me, the logistics of that would be very foreign. I was incredibly young when the, the Thunderdome thing took place, but I did peek at your article today and, and saw that as an option. Um and then I think that what we've been talking about over the course of this week is why any other venue would lend them the hand of propping up the Coyotes for a couple of years while their stadium gets built. And then all of a sudden that new stadium becomes the draw for other events that are now not choosing Chase or not choosing uh, what I thought was talking stick is now footprint uh, arena or whatever. Do you see what I'm saying though? Like as far as business transactions go about this, is there any motivation for anybody down there to sort of help the Coyotes out in this sense right now? Yeah, with the two venues we're talking about, like I mentioned, they have a great relationship with the Diamondbacks, and I don't think the Diamondbacks consider an arena arena of that size as a competition for the sorts of events that they would schedule. So I don't see that being an issue. It's absolutely an issue with Glendale, and it would absolutely be an issue at the Footprint Center, and I don't, I don't see any possibility of the Coyotes playing there in the short term. Robert Sarver's not going to help them out. They've, they've made overtures to him in the past to try and move back there, and he has rebuffed them all, and there's no way he's going to help them bridge the gap to an arena that would be a competitor, a direct competitor to his business. Um, but, again, Chase, I don't think, is that situation. And then with the Coliseum, there's nothing happening there, guys. I mean, the city would love to have someone in there and have an anchor tenant because it just doesn't host many events anymore. Tucson is another option, I guess, that I've seen floated, but that's considerably further south, as I understand, and even the capacity there at that rink, probably not something the NHL would entertain. No, I, I don't see Tucson as a possibility at all. Yeah, the, the venue's too small. I mean, think about the logistics of that. It's For the players, it's a two-hour drive. Are you really going to ask them to commute, the players, the staff, everybody? Are you going to put the bill for them to live down there? Um, there there's so many problems with that. that I, that's just not even on the table looking at this team less the the homelessness of it all you talked a little bit about the rebuild they bring in Andre Tourney who had been essentially tabbed as the next one here by Hockey Canada as you know a developmental coach they've got a younger team there Um, as far as the on-ice product goes might be a tough year two moving forward but overall what do you think of the new direction of this team now that Rick Tockett is out and Andre Tourney is in? Well, I, I think the direction that they're going is one that they've needed to go in and for a very long time and one that they tried to do a couple of times, but then they abandoned ship uh, midstream. It, it, they, they've had a couple rebuilds here, and then they, they made up, went out and made some moves that made that impossible. They didn't stay the course. So I hope that they do that for the, you know, for the longevity and the success of the franchise. That's what they really need to do. Um, Bill Armstrong, again, as I mentioned earlier, <laughs> has had a, just a dizzying offseason of acquiring assets, also getting, that, getting back into the first round and Dylan, getting Dylan Gunther, who is a really intriguing prospect that you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you, when you talk about the uh, structure of a rebuild, this is step one, right? You need the assets, first of all, and they have put a lot of money and resources into their scouting staff with Daryl Plandowski coming over from Tampa Bay, Ryan Jankowski coming on board. They've added other really experienced scouts, Randy Hanch being one of them. There are a lot of good people in the scouting staff, and now they have the assets to play with. But as I mentioned, that's just the start of the process. Now you have to hit on those draft picks. 
You've got to develop them properly, which has also been a problem here in the past. And then maybe you can get to that point where you have a sustainable, successful team on the ice. Craig, I really appreciate all of the insights on this front. Is there anything that you're keenly watching as maybe the next steps for this process as things move forward, maybe a timeline, or is it really in flux right now? Well, the request for proposal, the bids are due on September 2nd. So that's going to reveal a lot. We'll get a much better sense of what the Coyotes are proposing, and then we'll be able to gauge Tempe's reaction to it. That's, that's really the key right now. That's the big story down here in terms of the arena. How do people find your work? They can find it at azcoyotesinsider.com, and they can find me on Twitter at Craig S. Morgan. All right, Craig, thank you for finally making some time for us here, and uh, <laughs> just take some downtime. Hey, I imagine it's been a, a pretty wild <laughs> ride for you the last few days. Yeah, I'm going to get out of town here very soon, so thank you. All right, enjoy. That is Craig Morgan again out of Arizona on the Coyotes. Uh, well, they don't have an arena deal. The homelessness, though, that's going to have to be addressed. They got a place for this here. Come on. They'll play. They'll play. Hey, man, I, I cannot see a situation in which Avis team moves. I can barely see a situation in which this team moves out of Glendale right now because there isn't an alternative. You talk to anybody that we've had on the show in the last three shows. There isn't an alternative. And to me, that's why the city of Glendale pulled trigger on this when they did. They said, you don't have any options anymore. You know who's doing that right now? Jack Eichel to Buffalo. He's boxing his team into a corner where they're not going to have any options to offload this asset. That's probably a crazy parallel to draw. Late in hour one here on Oilers Now, the Tuesday edition. Lots of your thoughts at 780-496-0063. Either a double vaccination and proof of that or proof of a negative COVID-19 test. That's what's required to get into Rogers Place. We know that's the home of the Oilers for years, decades to come. How do you feel about what the new requirements for this season are to get in there? We'll discuss that when we come back on Oilers Now. Coming up after the 1 o'clock news, we'll hear from our friend of the South, Peter Labardius, color analyst for the Flames broadcast on Sportsnet 960. Been an interesting offseason for the Flames, not really a whole lot doing up front other than the addition of Blake Coleman. How does he slot into that roster? Does he change the dynamic of the top six enough that they could really put things together? Is, does he even play in the top six? I would think for the kind of money they signed him for that he'd better, but these are all things that we'll ask Lubo, Pete Labardius coming up then. Right now, time for your thoughts. 780-496-0063. Coach says those wanting to get into Rogers Place this year should be double vaxxed, no exceptions. No shoes, no shirt, no vax, no service. Another texter says it's interesting that the people who can't seem to understand the new rules of not needing to be vaccinated as long as they show a negative test are also against the vaccine itself. Not, I'm sure many other things are difficult for them to understand as well. Um, Anne-Marie says this is absolutely what needs to be done to keep everybody safe as possible. It's a no-brainer. It's time for Kenny to let us Albertans get a vaccine passport. People who talk about freedoms are lost. It's not lost. You just have to make a different choice. Take the test or the shot. Eat in or eat out. Those freedoms are lost on people are <laughs> probably members of a certain organization. Thanks. 
The Oilers' options for admittance are unacceptable. Submit to a vaccine with potential unacceptable side effects or submit to a medical procedure to demonstrate you are acceptable to the Oilers organization. Chinese credit score in early operations. So, wow. Wow, there is there is a lot of reaching being done here, I think, in terms of let's let's reset the table on this. So we are abundantly clear again about what the Oilers Entertainment Group policy is to enter Rogers Place starting September 28th. Full proof, uh, proof of full COVID-19 vaccination received at least 14 days before the day of the game. Either electronic or paper records will be accepted for this. Albertans immunization records are actually easily viewed online and available on your cell phone. There you go. A negative COVID-19 test would also be accepted if approved uh, by a, a testing provider taken within 48 hours of the game's scheduled start time. So again, let's say puck drops 7 o'clock Thursday. You need to have that test after 7 o'clock Tuesday. So there's your options. Nobody's pinning you down and poking a needle into your arm in order for you to attend. They're not doing that on 104th Ave. There's not a special entrance for those who have vaccinations and those who don't. It's just the way of the world. And I can't really emphasize enough that this isn't unique to the Oilers Entertainment Group. This isn't unique to Alberta. This isn't, and this is exactly. Other than the date that it starts, this is exactly what's been implemented for the Saddle Dome, for Rogers Arena, for the Scotiabank Place or Scotiabank Arena out in Toronto, for Bell MTS Place, which I think they changed the name of as well. Like, it is across the board. Now, I can't predict the future, but I would assume this is going to be the standard for everything. Doesn't matter. I mean, you'd have to assume the Western League's going to adopt something like this. I don't know about the minor, the junior hockey ranks and stuff like that, but when you think about professional sports or large events in general, I mean, I don't think we can count out concerts at this point. This is likely going to be the standard, and you're going to have to live with it. I'm sorry. I don't think there's any other way around it when, you know, you start diving into liability, legal issues. There's so much more beneath the surface that private business has to worry about. Someone has texted wondering if you're under the age of 12 and going to an Oilers game, do you still need to show a negative COVID test? No, this only applies to fans age 12 or older. Again, for the first preseason game of the Oilers on September 28th. Brian wants to know if players need to be fully vaccinated. I don't think there's been an actual announcement on that front yet, but that will be something that the Players Association and the league are currently working like crazy on behind the scenes to figure out what that's going to look like. John Shannon mentioned that we'll probably know a little bit more over the course of this week what that may look like come puck drop time. And that's something you know we were talking about before was, and in Edmonton's a different case, but if you are mandating that fans be fully vaccinated to enter the building like a Winnipeg, I believe BC is all mandated as well. Are you going to mandate the players who are the ones bringing in the fans be fully vaccinated or are you going to run the risk of, you know, a COVID outbreak happening and you're going to have to worry about postponing or potentially canceling games because then that's another slippery slope you got to run upon. 
Look no further than what Vancouver and Montreal each went with or went through last year. The Oilers having a, sort of an abrupt off week in the middle of it with another team that had come down with some COVID cases. So it's, you know, they're going to have to work really hard at the league level to mitigate this. And again, we'll talk about what's going on at the CFL level with the Edmonton Elks right now and how they stand as it looks on paper and things can change, but it looks like they're going to have to forfeit this game call me pessimistic I can tell you that they're not playing the Argonauts before Labor Day and after that it becomes very tricky to figure out where you're going to fit that in so you know that's a league with 14 games where you play once a week different circumstance in the NHL but still something to strongly be considered as they're heading forward here where they just can't afford those kinds of long disruptions to the schedule now I, I don't have <clears throat> I don't have the OAG release in front of me here but is there certain types of tests that you're mandated to take? Can there be rapid tests uh, like available at the arena? Do you, like, did they give any of that information? It looks like it's simply you providing proof of, yeah, there's nothing in here that indicates that it would be administered at the door, for example. It says that you bring in your proof. So, you know, the, again, the choice then is that you're electing to pay for a private COVID test or however you would go about attaining one of those and then bringing those results to the rink. The same way that everybody that's got their vaccine, it's not a passport, it's a record of immunization like there's always been. So you're showing that at the door. Your medical records are there. If you've had the job, they're in your medical records. End of story. It's not a passport, it's, it's proof. Need them to travel to certain countries, you know, if you're going to a different continent and stuff. It's all out there. And again, if you don't want to state whether you're vaccinated or not, maybe just don't go to the game. It will be broadcast on TV. I can assure you of that much. Or how about right here on your radio, 630 Chad, Jack Michaels, Cam Moon, Bob Stoffer, all on the team. I might be in the building this year, probably a lower chance than ever before of that happening, but we'll see how that goes. It is creeping up on one o'clock here in Edmonton. We'll take a time out for the news with Kevin Robertson. We'll come back with Peter Labardius, color analyst of the Calgary Flames on Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.